At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Has undoubtedly become, I think it's a trend with Jens, uh, become one of my favorite people. And... Um, I don't say that to many, but, uh, and one of the reasons is because whenever I am with her, she always tends to encourage me. And I got to tell you this morning in prayer time, Jen, thank you so much uh, for the encouragement that you've given. Uh, I am thankful for many things on this day. I'm very thankful for my family. Uh, amen. Can I get an amen? Are you thankful for yours? Uh, I'm very thankful for good health. I'm thankful for this wonderful community of faith. And I thank God every day for the privilege of being able to serve Him. Now, I am really, and I mean this sincerely today, on Thanksgiving Day, and you can hold me to it, not going to preach very long. But what I do want to do is I want to hear some of the reasons for giving thanks today. Now, this makes most people nervous. If you're visiting with us, I will never put you on the spot. Don't. So just relax. Breathe in and out. But I'm wondering if there are a few of our regular attenders, and if you feel, whoever it is, feel comfortable in just sharing very briefly just something you're thankful for. Now, we're not asking for a, for a, 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 a sermon. Uh, we just want to hear very concisely from you some of the things that you're thankful for. Here's why this is important. Uh, have you ever noticed how easy it is to adopt the posture of always wanting more and never feeling satisfied? Have you ever noticed that there seems to be a trend in our culture that we always should have more? We can never get to the point of contentment. You know, the invitation that God gives us as his children is to recognize that God has given us so much more than we even deserve. And when we state thankfulness, when we speak and express gratitude, uh, maybe some of us need to be reminded today of the, the reasons we ought to give him thanks. And so I think it's an important part of worship. So just kindly raise your hand. And if no one raises their hand, it's going to be a really terrible thing that I've just did, did to myself. So uh, just raise your hand very quickly. And, and would you mind coming, Natasha, because otherwise uh, I have to run all the way back there and... Technically, I am older than you, so uh, you want to share with us uh, something you're thankful for? I'm thankful for friends and family. Well, that is a great thing to be thankful for. And knowing your friends, and I'm one of them, and your family, that is true. You should be thankful for them. (laughs) Thank you, Natasha. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just very quickly. You don't have to come to the front except if you're sitting way in the back. You've got one? Yes. And we were talking about this this morning, but uh, I'm just so thankful that 
all that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to him. And that's, that's an old, old song, and it really dates me. But uh, <laughs> I'll say it again. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, right behind you, Joel. I'm not coming to you. Just right behind you. Um, I'm thankful for choices and options and for always having a fallback. And if we're, like, hungry, there's always a place where we can go and get food or buy food. There's, like, always an option. Isn't that something we often take for granted, you know, living here? And yet it takes some effort and intention to be thankful for those things. Anybody else? Yes. Um, I have two things. Sure. <laughs> I'm thankful for the gifts that God gave us, the things like music and art. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that he made us in his image. Oh, amen. Amen. Back here. It's hard for fellow South Africans to be thankful on this day because we just got crushed by Australia in the rugby. But um, my fellow South African has something to be thankful for. I'm thankful for this church community, and I'm thankful for my family and my wife. Amen. That is a good thing to be thankful for, especially in your first year of marriage. That is very, very good. I want to give just a couple more an opportunity just to express some thanks. Just a couple more. Yes, there's more than one. I will go back here and come over to you and to you. I'd like to thank the congregation for all the support, especially my driver. I wouldn't be here otherwise. Mind you, he pawns me off once in a while. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. Bella, we love you. We love you. And my driving is getting better. I was just giving a hug then, but um, (laughs) my family and my youth group. Oh, that is very good. You're going to win brownie points with Jen on that one. Very good. And I think one person over here. Yes. For our spirit-filled pastor and for just awesome leadership in this church. Wow. Thank you so much, Jen. And I didn't pay her to say that. Uh, but that is a good note to end on. <laughs> it is so, it's such a privilege to be the pastor of this church. And I just, as I always say to you, that I believe God has richly blessed us. Amen. You know, uh, there's a statement that is often made. It goes like this. Who you know matters. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that statement? I think it's true, especially when you're looking for employment. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's hard. You know, you can go through the process of applying, uh, filling in a resume, sending it in. But if someone on the inside of the organization knows who you are and puts a good word in for you, chances are you stand a better chance of getting the job. I think there's often privileges associated with who you know. Uh, I, I, I have to tell you a really funny story, and I may have told this to you before. And this, is, this happens when you have a pastor who's been here now two years. He starts repeating his stories. Uh, but I was, uh, I was about uh, 19 years old when uh, my dad uh, woke me up early in the morning and said, uh, you know, today, Stu, the two of us have to go and, and, and uh, we're going to pick up some folks who are visiting from the United States and we're going to take them around the beautiful city of Cape Town. And um, it is a beautiful city, but to be honest with you, at that age, I wasn't really excited about getting up that early. I think it was a Saturday morning. 
But anyway, got in the car, took off with my dad. We picked up these two gentlemen uh, from, uh, from the United States who were visiting. And uh, we drove to Table Mountain. Now, who has ever been to Table Mountain? I know there's some few people here who has. It's picturesque. It's beautiful. And it's a tourist place where people who visit South Africa will often go to Table Mountain. And it has a, is it called a, a gondola ride? Or what would you call it? A gondola ride? It has a gondola ride that takes you all the way up to the top of the mountain. And you can actually see out, you know, if it's a clear day, you can see the very tip of the continent of Africa. And it's just a, a beautiful place. So we drove up there. Are you still with me? Just say amen. Okay. Uh, so we drove up there uh, with these two gentlemen. And when we got there, um, my dad parked uh, very close to where you pay to go up. And it's quite a costly thing to do these days, as we found out last time we visited. And uh, he said to me, he said, Stu, now I want you to go in there and just let them know that we are with the mayor. Now, my dad did know the mayor. <laughs> he wasn't making that up. And uh, he said, just go and tell them we're here and, and, then, and then, you know, kind of uh, see if they will give you the ticket so maybe we can um, uh, go up. And so I got out of the vehicle. I, I walked over to these people uh, in, 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 the, in the booth there. And I, I felt rather sheepish, I have to be honest. Okay? Because I wasn't dressed like I know the mayor. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I walked up to the person and I said to her kind of gently, I, I said, um, uh, we're, we're here with the mayor. <laughs> you guys are so serious, I don't even know if I should tell the story. And, and, and she looked at me, she says, what mayor? And I said, the mayor of Cape Town. She said, there's no mayor of Cape Town here. I haven't seen him. I said, no, but we are with him, he's probably coming. And she looked at me, she says, I don't know about it. And I walked back to the car kind of feeling sheepish. I got in the car, my dad says, what did they say? He said, they don't know the mayor. <laughs> he said, did you give me tickets? No, did you give me tickets? And as we sat there, my dad said, oh, we'll just wait a few minutes. There came this Mercedes with the two little flags and stopped and out got the chauffeur, opened the door, and the mayor of Cape Town stepped out and came over to my dad, gave him a big hug, and, and then my dad said, let's go, and we followed the mayor. And as we walked up to this booth, I was feeling a lot better than I did when I went the first time. I mean, I walked up broad-chested, you know, and I kind of stood behind my dad and the mayor, and I just looked at the lady there. So who knows the mayor now? We went up. We had a great day. I spent the day up on Table Mountain. And I recognize that sometimes in our lives, we have a perspective in our Christian faith in particular that that postures us in a particular way to miss the greatest gift of being Christian. You know, if, if there's a text that the Apostle Paul speaks about that, that, that should give us a clue as to what matters most, it would be not what we know, but whom we know. You know, in the scripture, the Apostle Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ. He, he, he articulates it in a profound way. How many times have I quoted the scripture for me, to me to love is Christ and to die is gain, without pondering deeply what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is speaking about a knowing of Jesus Christ that literally redefined his entire life. You see, I, I'm convinced that in our day and age, many people know things. We know more things than generations before us. And if we don't know, just go on to Google and you can find out. 
You can literally type in any question and uh, tons, thousands of websites or answers can come to your disposal. We, we are exposed to so much information. But you know, when the Apostle Paul in this text speaks about knowing God, he is not simply speaking about an academic or a factual understanding. He is speaking about a knowledge that literally transformed his very life. You see, in the Bible in particular, to know God is not only to know His characteristics or to know things about Him. You know, I've often heard people say to me, oh yeah, yeah, you know, especially if they're non-Christian, oh, we know about Jesus. As a good friend of mine once pointed out, ask the person, what do they know about Jesus? And you will find that the list is awfully skimp in most times. The, the, The reality may be that even for us, who are Christians, we may have a knowledge, but we may not have the kind of knowledge that the Apostle Paul speaks about. I want to ask you very sincerely, on a day of giving thanks, do you know Christ? Not in the way that He's been passed down to you. Not in the way that you have perceived others to know Him. Not in a distant kind of factual way. But do you know Him as the Apostle Paul describes Him, both in the power of His resurrection and in sharing in the fellowship of His suffering? I have found that in my life, sometimes when I meet people, I can draw conclusions about who they are. If they look grumpy on a particular day, I could just kind of write them off and say they're grumpy people. But then I sit down with them, as has happened in my life, and I talk to them, and I found there's a reason behind the grumpiness. And all of a sudden, I find that I like the grumpy person. Because in knowing them, it changes my perspective of who they are. I think it is awfully important for us in Christian faith to recognize that we have not just been called to assent to factual understanding of God, but we are invited to experience God through knowing Christ intimately. Maybe a couple of questions will help us. How much time do we spend in wanting to know Jesus? How much time do we spend in the Word of God learning about Him? How much time, I'm just asking myself this question along with the rest of us, do we spend in quiet reflection and meditation, how many times in our prayer life do we wait to hear His Word spoken to us? Knowing Jesus, according to our text, goes deeper than knowing facts about Him. To Paul, it is about a knowledge that has and was transforming who he was, how he viewed himself, and even defined his purpose for life. I don't know if this uh, passion for Jesus excites you, but it excites me. (laughs) And I know I don't need to, to tell you that I get excited a lot. You see it every Sunday. But as it excites me, it also disturbs me. And I'll tell you, first of all, why it excites me. It excites me because what it says to me is there is more of God for me to know. I can have a deeper relationship with Him, a more meaningful friendship with Him than I have at present. That excites me. What scares me is that that in knowing Christ, in the way that Christ is revealed throughout Scripture, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go where He wants me to go when I know who He truly is. I think one of the reasons we resist 
going there is because of what happens to our lives when we start to get beyond the periphery of facts and enter into this life-giving relationship. Now, this morning, we have read a portion of Scripture that deals with the Apostle Paul. And I want to quickly, quickly get to three points. And everybody said, Amen. And just before I get there, I just want to give you a brief context for the particular text. I always stress week after week that context helps us to not misinterpret what is being said. It gives us a foundation to first understand what is being said to the people of that day. And then from there, we can start to look at it and say, what does it mean for us today? Just a couple of really important things. When Paul was writing this, he was addressing uh, a people uh, who some commentators refer to as Judaizers. They were people who believed that even if you wanted, if you wanted to become a follower of God, if you wanted to become a Christian, you had to first and foremost adopt the practices of Judaism. In particular, you had to be circumcised. Circumcision was always considered throughout Old and New Testament as an outward symbol of an inner cleansing. But as is the case in many, many kind of things that we do in religion, it can lose its meaning. We can make the symbol, the, 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 the be and end all, to the discredit or to the disadvantage of experiencing what it is ultimately pointing towards. In other words, we can say that we love people, but our attitudes can speak a different language. And when Paul writes, he's writing to people who said, if you are truly going to follow Jesus, this is the way to enter into that relationship. You know what the Apostle Paul says throughout his writings? He says the only true requirement for being a follower of Jesus is to have faith in Him. In fact, in his defense of Gentile Christians, he says, the Spirit of God has been poured out on all people, not only Jewish people, on all people. All people can come and experience his salvation. All people can come to know Jesus. But would the Apostle Paul have said this if we think about who he was prior to knowing Christ? In this particular text, he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day as every righteous Jew would have been, male would have been. That he was born a Jew from a good family. Listen to what he says. He says, I was a Hebrew through and through. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Now we struggle to understand what that really means, but there's some potential, some potential definitions. One of it is simply this. He is saying that my parents were Hebrew and I am Hebrew. I wasn't married into this thing. I wasn't given some kind of privilege or right from others. I was born into this privilege. He said I was a Pharisee. And what we know from scriptures is Paul was taught by one of the greatest teachers uh, known to Pharisees in his day. He had a zeal for God. Such a passion for God that it made him incredibly cruel. He was present at the execution of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, and very likely had a role in it. As one commentary says, the words that he spoke are chilling. That is spoken of Saul when it says he was standing there giving approval to Stephen's death. But something happened to Paul that has happened to many of us here. Paul had an experience, an encounter with Jesus Christ that forever changed him. You know, some of the most profound truths 
are simple yet easy to forget. For some of us here, we need to be reminded what we were before we found Jesus, or more rightly put, before Jesus found us. One of the things that became primary in Paul's life was that he wanted to know Christ. There's an old song, and we've been singing some hymns today. Did you notice that, young people here? Did you know some of them? Or were you just faking it when you sang along? (laughs) It goes something like this. Trusting Jesus is all that matters. Have you ever heard this one? And your life, it will never be the same. Seriously, I'm the only one that knows this one. There is only one way to trust Him. Just believe as you call on His name. I used to hear my mom sing this song. (laughs) Maybe she composed it. I don't know. If you don't know it, maybe she did. I don't know. But our whole community sang it. And I remember whenever they sang this, I would think of my mom. And today, of course, of my mom being with the Lord Jesus Christ. When I hear this song, Trusting Jesus is All That Matters, I, 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 I remember her countenance. I remember her face. I remember the way in which she sang. And, I, and, I, and not only do I remember the way in which she sang, but, but deep within my heart, I, 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 I hear the tone of her voice and the deep truth within her heart that she believed wholeheartedly that trusting Jesus was all that matters. You know, I, I, I want to say to us as a church that, that, that as your pastor, as someone just reminded me this past week, that my, my job uh, is, 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 is not to be the best strategic planner of programs. In fact, my job is not to be the best counselor, as some of you have already found out to your own misfortune. Uh, my greatest job is to know Christ. For when I know Him, everything changes. The way that I view myself, the way that I look at others. You know, it must have been incredibly hard for a Pharisee so dead set on a particular way of life to be apprehended by Christ and to have something change within him. It must have been incredibly hard. And and I know that some of you can think of either yourself or others who you can't imagine will ever change their perspectives on life. Have you ever met people that are just so determined, so right? Maybe you're one of them. But when you know Jesus, all bets are off. He can change perspectives. He can change lives. He can redefine what it means to be a godly person. Uh, Maybe this message is is for both the Christian that sits here and maybe even for those who who are struggling with their own perspectives and those things which they cling to. I want to say to you, like the Apostle Paul experienced Christ, Christ set him free in a profound way. And he can do the same for us. You see... um, There are many things in my life that I like to cling to. Many things that I like to hold on to. Are you still with me? Say amen. Maybe you should talk amongst each other as I drink some water. 
And I can say to you that there's a good role that psychologists play today in helping us deal <coughs> with things in our past, things that we hold on to. In my conversation with many over the years, including some of you here, you would say to me that some of the reasons I am the way I am, the reason why I struggle with some of the things I struggle, the reason that I'm doing this, if we speak long enough about it, some of you trace it to some of the experiences you've had in your life. Some of us here struggle so much with our Christian faith because deep down inside we're seeking approval. And so, much like Paul who believed that the approval came through his determination and his effort and his upholding of the law, we work hard to appease God and we're exhausted in our Christian life because we think that what makes God happy is how much I do. It takes a deep work of knowing Christ. To change a man like Paul. And it takes a deep work of knowing Christ to change many of us from the things that hold us back. You see, Jesus became his priority. And when knowing Jesus became his priority, it became easier for him to let go of a way of life that kept him from knowing. I think there are some things in our history, like the Apostle Paul, that, that do keep us from experiencing all of who Christ is. In verse 8, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. Now, now for those of you who like this kind of thing, the original language um, you know, is a lot more harsh, Greek major right here, a lot more harsh than our English translation, rubbish. In fact, it is the word excrement, and we won't get to graphic with that. But the Apostle Paul says, The things that I thought once defined me and brought value are now things which I consider to be rubbish. You know, some of the things that we cling to in our lives as, as bringing value to us, as defining us, we can't possibly imagine living without if you want to know what sin is in most cases in the New Testament in particular, it is not the things that we do, but rather it is the things that we make a priority in our hearts and lives. If you want to know what is the heart of sin, it is when anything else replaces the true value of who God is in our lives. And some of those things we cling to so strongly that we cannot perceive of having a meaning in life if we did not possess those things. For some people, it's career. Some people, it's relationships. Some people, it's success. For some people, it becomes their families. But for Christians, the only way we can embrace and know Christ is if we are willing to let go of even that which we consider to be the most valuable. I have to say that this kind of message is not you know, I mean, it doesn't bring people back to church. I hope you do come back. But, but you know, for the Apostle Paul to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gay, the Bible does not say, the Apostle Paul says, you know, for to me to live is, 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 is okay to know Jesus. He has this incredible total devotion to him. And, and, and Christ says to his disciples, if, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must be all in. 
You must be willing to go all the way. When the Apostle Paul says this, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, yes, but I also want to know Him in sharing in the fellowship of His suffering. I want my life to be totally His, and I want to live like Him even if it takes me to the grave. I don't know if I can honestly say to you that I understand the ramifications of living that way in my own life, but I do know this, that the Bible challenges us to surrender our all to Him. In fact, it is only in letting go that we can embrace Christ. It is only in letting go that we can really know Him. You know, any good life God would teach you this. They say if someone's drowning, the worst thing you can do is go in on them right quickly. Because you know what they'll do? They'll grab a hold of your neck and they will drag you down. You know what some lifeguards actually do? And I've been told this by some. Who's a lifeguard? Anybody a lifeguard? Now, I don't know if you've done this, but some lifeguards, in order to save somebody, they will actually stand their distance and wait for the person to go so tuckered out that they're literally going down and have no strength left. Then they would go in. Because in the desperation to save their life and hang on, they would literally bring the lifeguard down with them. I think that, that if we are to take that as an application in our pre-Christian life, sometimes in our desperation to make our lives meaningful, in our desperations to cling to things that we think brings ultimate uh, meaning and purpose to our life, we cannot experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. We cannot experience it. And so many people are held, they are held, they are so frantic, so fighting to make it, to get there. I remember a young man coming into our youth group and he was devastated. He was devastated because the girl of his dreams dumped him. I remember spending hours talking to him. You know, part of me wanted to say, did you look at all the girls in the youth group? They're fine too. A part of me wanted to say that there's many fish in the sea, dude. Just kind of get your head out of your misery. Part of me got impatient with him. But for him, this was his life. He became so absorbed with this relationship, he could not see any potential for hope. In fact, friends, I'm glad I didn't say what I did because this young man uh, expressed even at one point that he, he thought maybe it's not worth living. Because he was so bound, so convinced that this is what he needed in his life. This person, this particular experience. Now I know for young people that might touch close to home. That would make maybe sense to them. But for some of us who have lived through our teenage lives and are now a little bit more plump and mature. We too have things that we are not willing to let go of. We too have things that we cling to. And as we do, we can't allow ourselves to be saved by the one who cares and loves us deeply. You see, in the Apostle Paul's life, knowing Christ became his priority and letting go became a possibility. And finally, pleasing God became a reality. I have always uh, known this about myself. I do not like to disappoint people. And so, um, on many occasions when I don't feel like uh, I have 
done as I should and I've let people down, it bothers me. You can ask my wife. I will talk to her about it. I, I will say things like, you know, I should have known that I, sh- I should have, you know, I, you know. And you know what has happened in my life? I started to realize this in my Christian life. I've taken that same attitude with God. You know, I, 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 I have on occasion so many times beaten myself up because I feel like I failed again to please him. And, and part of what, what is in my heart is probably in some of your hearts here. I, I have a little bit of Phariseeism in me. You see, I, I believe that God's pleasure in me comes so strongly from me doing it and getting it right. But until, like the Apostle Paul, I was shown that even my greatest righteousness cannot fit me to sit at the feet of Christ. Only his tremendous grace that is poured out for every single one of us because we do not deserve it. And when I embrace that Jesus, I please God. Let let, let me say this, and maybe... I'm, I'm, I'm way out of my own depth on this. You know, this is out of my pay grade. Okay? I, I don't pretend to understand all of this, but, but maybe I can put it in simple ways that make sense to me. It is when the Apostle Paul realized that self-righteousness would not make him right with God, but that knowing Christ and what he did in his place was the only hope he had that his life was pleasing to God. So now in my own life, when I feel these burdens of performance, I turn to the Word and I say, let me know Christ. I've shared this with you over the last few months. God's starting to liberate me from some of the need to please He's starting to liberate me from some of my own personal disappointments because I felt like I could have done things better. And he is teaching me to fall in love with him because he loves me so deeply. And it is by his grace that I stand before you as weak as I am some Sundays, knowing that he loves me so. You see, what we need is the power to believe it. You know, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, he says in another occasion where he has this problem, he, he says, Lord, remove it from me. And we all know in Second Corinthians 12 what the response is. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, even when you're weak. But many of us struggle with weakness and Christian faith. <laughs> we, we see it as something that we, we should be embarrassed about. We see it as something that God does not look upon. Can I say this to you? When you come to the end of yourself, you're ready for grace. When you've tried your best and your best and your best and your best and your hardest and your hardest and your hardest and your life still feels vacant and empty, you're ready for grace. When you've failed miserably and you've made mistakes beyond what you want other people to know, you're ready for grace. But when you're good and striving and trying to be, earning His grace, 
you won't. I want to know Christ as a pastor in a way that goes beyond just the academic and the theological. I want to know him not in what fits into my cultural bias and preference. I want to know him the way the Apostle Paul speaks of knowing him. For to know him is to know one that though being in the form of God, humbled himself and became a servant. I think one of the ways that the church actually shows that we know God is when we are servant-like. In our attitudes with one another, when we are humble in our responses to each other. I'm going to finish now because I know I'm losing some of you. Can you just say amen for the sake of waking up the person next to you? I recently discovered that there is an incredible grace in humility. Sometimes when people say things to me or do things, I tend to kind of get my back up. I know I'm the only one here today that does that. When people do things that I, I wouldn't do that way, you know, I wouldn't say it that way, or, man, can't you just see it the way I see it because it's right kind of way. You know what I've realized on many occasions? That the potential for that situation to become the thing I hold on to is always there. But at the very same time, the invitation to be as Christ is equally present. To humble oneself, to take the posture of a servant, and to experience his grace. Some of the relationships we have, tremendously stressed, pain because of holding on to things maybe, difficult Maybe we avoid those relationships. Maybe I'm speaking to some people very specifically. I don't know who you are. But in knowing Christ, we are invited to humble our hearts and be obedient to his ways. Humility is not humiliation, but rather it's the posture that says, I recognize how deep sin runs in my life. And how much I need the grace of God to save me. And I wonder today, maybe in a different type of message, whether you would respond in a way that says, I want to know Christ. Maybe you say, Stu, you know what? I've been around the church. I've, I've heard messages. I can preach messages. I could probably do, you know, Bible studies. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're the kind of person, you know, I, I've been around it so much, but I have to be honest this morning and say, I wonder, after hearing what you say, whether I truly know Christ. I know this is a very difficult thing to say. Maybe for some of us, we should search our hearts and our lives and we should ask ourselves the question, what things do I hold on to that may prevent me from experiencing His grace? And maybe there are some of us today who need to just allow Him to embrace us and say, I am pleased with you. Some of you have been working so hard for his pleasure when he's all along offered you his grace and his love. 
one of the most heart-wrenching experiences in my own life. was when a friend of mine put his arms around me and told me, Stu, nothing you do could make me love you less. It is in that embrace and in that moment that maybe in my own heart I started to believe the grace of God that comes to me like that. My heart aches for people who are so beaten up by life that even in our faith we feel like failures. The church is full of people including myself, that are constantly trying to make us good enough for God. Jesus has done that. That is why we should know him. That is why we should fall to our knees in humble adoration. That is why when we sing songs of praise, it should come from the very depths of our soul and heart. For he has given us more than we deserve. I desire to know him. I invite you this morning to respond to the word of God. As Bob comes and prepares to lead us. Father, we pray this morning that the simplicity of your word would fall upon our hearts. That where conviction comes we would know it comes because of your love for us as your children. I know, Lord, that the Apostle Paul has given us instruction in so many places, but what speaks louder to us today is the fact that he knew you, and because he knew you, everything changed. I confess to you today that in my own life, there is the temptation to hold on to things, to make it my source of comfort and strength, to make it my security, and to not turn to you. Today I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit you would enable us to take a step in the right direction. You would start to um, remove some of the things we hold on to. You would start to assure us of a grace that is sufficient for us even in our weakness. I pray, Lord, that in this community of faith we would not be pretentious, we would not be afraid of vulnerability, we would not be afraid of truth, and we would not be afraid of dependence upon you. May we desire nothing less than to know you in your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.